Dementia Well FNQ and our series on everything dementia. I am Neela Allen and today we'll be talking about what is normal and what is not normal when we're talking about the brain. When we actually talk about dementia, many people think that memory loss is dementia and dementia is memory loss, but this actually isn't necessarily true. The brain, as we discussed last week, has many different parts and when we get input from one of them, let's say the skin, and the message goes up to the brain, it may not connect to another part of the brain to make sense of that input. This might appear to be a memory problem, but is actually a connection problem. Memory is essentially forgetting. We don't really forget things. We misplace them in the myriad of things that are in our busy brains. And we're sort of thinking of 20,000 things at once, or so it seems. When we forget a word, and I'm talking about normal signs of ageing here, we will give clues to someone so that they can help us out and narrow the object down to about one or two items. For example, let's say I forget the word fork. So we will say, you know, it's a piece of cutlery. We stab our food with it and put it in our mouths. And they will guess fork and we'll say, yes, 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 that's it, fork. So we are able to narrow it down because we can remember what it is, what it is used for, how to use it. We just can't remember the name at this moment. This is normal. Now, a person who is having brain changes, if they forget the word fork, they will also give us a clue as to what it might be. But they will not be able to narrow it down to one or two items and they might say something like, you know, you know what I'm talking about, that thing, the thing we use at mealtimes. Well, that did narrow it down, but we now have to guess 10 to 20 guesses before we can get the word fork. By this time, our friend is very frustrated with us and cannot understand why we can't guess what it is when they've given us the clues. We must be stupid. This might also end in verbal or physical aggression, and this is not normal. But this is a piece of the puzzle that we need to help us to understand what is going on in their brains. Another normal thing that we do is is enter a room and completely forget why we came in there. I do this a lot. Here, though, we might be, say, sitting, finishing a project and think, ooh, hmm, I'd love a cup of tea. So we get up and we go into the kitchen, but once we've got there in, into the kitchen, we've got no idea why we came there. So you look around to see if there's anything in the kitchen that might spark a memory, you know. I mean, let's face it, the older we get, the more things we've done in the kitchen. Some of the things we can talk about and others, maybe not so much. It's less likely that we're going to remember why we went in there. So we think back to what we were doing. We were sitting, we were in that room, we were we had just finished a project. We thought something, we got up and we came into the kitchen, but still nothing. So we actually physically retrace our steps back to that chair. We could stand beside the chair and think, right, I was sitting here, I just finished my project, I stood up, I went out of this room and into the kitchen but still nothing. And it's not until we actually sit in that chair that we think, ah, a cup of tea, because that's where we were when we had the thought. Now we've cemented that thought into our memory because we've thought of it again and said it out loud. Now we will remember it when we get back to that kitchen. Now I mentioned working memory. Now, typically, we can hold between five and eight items in our working memory at any one time. This is less if we are stressed. So, 
let's look at what I'm doing. I am sitting. That's that's one thing that we're doing. Uh, I'm finishing a project. That's two things. I had the thought, I want a cup of tea. That's three things. I stood up. That's four. I walked into another room. That's five. This room was darker, so I switched on a light. That's six. It was much warmer, and I thought about turning on the air conditioner. That's seven. But then that I thought, well, I won't be in here that long to benefit from the air conditioner. That's eight. So I moved into the kitchen. That's nine. Now, by now, the data input has moved that cup of tea right out of my working memory. As I hadn't cemented it in there by thinking about it many times or, or writing it down. Now, I make a shopping list most weeks and I, I often forget to actually take it to the shops with me. So when I get to the shops, I actually do remember most of the items on that shopping list. This is because I've cemented it into my working memory by writing it down and with that hand-eye coordination that really seals it in. And this is normal. A person who is having brain changes may have difficulty tracing their steps back to where they, what they were doing. They might make changes to their prefrontal cortex, which is the part of the brain that helps us with sequencing tasks in a logical order and seeing them through to a conclusion and then moving on. So all types of dementia typically attack two parts of the brain. Language is very common part of the brain to lose, and that's on the left-hand side. The word-finding skills are in that. Names are in that left side of the brain that tends to be the one that gets attacked. I mean, I would love a penny for every time I've heard a relative in a nursing home ask, do you know who I am? This is so stressful for the person living with dementia, as even if they might have remembered being questioned like this will make that name disappear completely. It makes me forget names when people do that because I've, it's interrupted my thought pattern and I might have been struggling to find their name in the first place. What's different there, I think, is that if it's me, I'm not embarrassed about forgetting someone's name and I'll just say, oh, I'm having a senior's moment. I'm sorry, I've forgotten your name. They will tell me and I won't be embarrassed about forgetting the name because actually none of us should because it's normal person with dementia though or has the beginning signs of getting dementia may feel embarrassed about that they feel a little bit hopeless about that name they know they should know the name but because they can't and they've been forgetting other things their brain knows something's going on they will often not put themselves out there to, to be embarrassed. So they will retreat into their own world and not go out of their house. So activities that they'd normally go out and do or um, places that they'd normally go, they will back off. They might stop answering the phone because they just don't want to be put into that position where they can't remember who the person is, what their name is, what they're meant to be doing. So it's very typical that they isolate themselves. This is very scary, isn't it? And this can lead to stress. I mentioned that we hold five to eight things in our working memory, but only five if we're stressed. This becomes even less if we are battling the early stages of dementia. So not only are we not able to remember, we're now stressed and can't remember. So that makes it worse. 
getting stressed actually makes everything worse. So we need to learn how to not be stressed. Maybe I'll talk about stress in the next episode. We can assist here, though, by always starting with our name when we meet somebody, wearing name badges if we're working in a nursing home. Let's make this easy for people as possible. As I mentioned, not only is it only memory that we can that can cause us problems. In Tipa Snow's book, Understanding the Changing Brain, she talks about us having four personas. This is where we behave differently, dress differently, do different activities, and sometimes use language differently in different circumstances. So she talks about the number one, one of these four things being in the community. Here, we might dress up do our hair, act very politely and follow a set of norms that society has laid out for us, like queuing up to get our groceries at at the checkout or waiting to be seated at a restaurant. We behave in a respectful manner, well, as opposed to maybe going out to a football match. Here we might dress in the team's colours, shout barbs at the opposite fans, cheer loudly when we score a goal, shout abuse at the ref because they've made a decision that's been against your team we would not behave like that in the shopping center or at work would we so we're behaving differently and not how we would normally behave the second thing she says is at work we act differently we might behave a lot more formally we might be very goal orientated and polite to our colleagues we might be a little bit more assertive but we follow a set of rules that that company has set out for us we might wear a uniform become very much aware of workplace health and safety issues we might still be wearing masks which we certainly are in nursing homes at this time third place that she says we have a different persona is at home this we take a far more relaxed role here we may not be so polite to the people that we are living in with we might show anger more easily Say things to the family that although we might be saying it with love, we would not say to anyone else because it would not maybe not feel very loving. We may wear clothes that are more comfortable that we certainly wouldn't go out in. And the fourth persona, she says, we have is when we're by ourselves. And this is where we are the most relaxed. We might not be wearing clothes at all <laughs> when I'm alone all day, which is very rare. But I will stay in my pyjamas all day. And this to me is like, oh, it's like the height of luxury. If I stub my toe or something like that, I might swear, which I certainly wouldn't do if I had company, even with my family. So we know when to put on each persona and when to change it. So if I'm sitting alone with my, on my, in my PJs and um, swearing, <laughs> um, and a friend rings up, say, and then tell me that they're coming around. Well, I would quickly shower and get dressed so that I'm presentable when they arrive. So I know I'm switching my persona now from being alone to now being, I suppose, in in the community because it's a, a person that doesn't live with me coming in to my home. I know that if I say to my husband, don't wear those trousers as your muffin top hangs over the top and it doesn't look good, that this will be taken as a good thing to say as I want him to look his best and he trusts me. And he isn't insulted by it. But I certainly wouldn't say that to a friend who had the same problem, as that would appear rude and they might not talk to me anymore. So most of us know these norms and accept them. 
a person that's living with brain changes might not be able to differentiate between the different personas. They may, might not have that impulse control that tells us not to tell a stranger that they're looking fat in those trousers. They might wear those comfortable clothes out, having not washed or brushed their hair. These are pieces of the puzzle that we need to take note of. We need each piece of the puzzle to be able to work out what is changing for that person, as it gives us clues as to how to assist them in the best way possible. The whole persona thing becomes very confusing as the person living with dementia is finding it difficult to actually make sense of the world around them. Becoming stressed on top of this, and again, stress makes everything worse. Having said that, I think we need to take a closer look at stress and maybe work out how we can reduce the amount of stress we experience every day. So that's what I'll talk about next episode. I'd like to thank you for joining me on this podcast. And I hope you will join me next week and find out more about stress and our responses to it. Bye for now.